Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy preaches a sermon titled, Get Back Up, from Acts chapter 14. As humans, we are full of contradictions. We want God, but on our own terms. The message of grace is this. You cannot earn the blessings of God, nor will those blessings be exchanged for curses if you make a single mistake. God is gracious to you, not because of your character, but because of God's character. Our Heavenly Father is gracious. The story we need to hear is how even when we endure the hardships and sufferings of this life, our Jesus will sustain us, provide for us, resurrect us. Don't share with your family members your resume of success. Share the stories of how you are attempting to earn it all and it crushed you, how the grace of Jesus saved you and how your faith in Jesus and the prayers of your friends help get you back up. I love it when staff takes vacation. <laughs> good morning, friends. Welcome. All those online, hello, good morning. Um, hey, can we pray just for a second? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for joy. Thank you for Keith Green and songs from the 70s. Thank you, Jesus, for Julian and his family, Lord. And uh, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing here in our midst. We're so grateful for you. We love you. Uh, again, we bind up and cast out anything opposed to Christ that's in this place, whether we're at home or in our car or in this sanctuary now in the name of Jesus. Do you all agree? We pray your protection and blessing over this space. Open our ears. Awaken our soul. Keep us focused. And we just bind up and mute anything opposed to you, Jesus, that would prevent or seek to interfere in this time now. In Christ's name we pray and all God's saints said. Amen. Hey, if you are new or visiting with our church, welcome. Uh, uh, Joe Ramirez, our Minister of Communications, will be back next week. Uh, so let me introduce you to what we believe is a church. We say this every week uh, because we forget, uh, but it's so important that we, we, we have a ballast to our lives. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like on the bottom of a ship, the thing that keeps your ship upright, right? It's, it's the weight, it's the anchor, it's the ballast, it's, the, it, it, it's the, the driving force of our lives. And we see this in Scripture this is the story that happens over and over and over again in Scripture, and it goes like this. Number one, there is always hope beyond your brokenness. Amen. Amen? No matter where you are in your life, you are welcome here. There are no perfect people, right? None, except one, and his name is Jesus. And he grants to us his perfection, credits to us his righteousness, his right standing with God, so that we have the chance to be honest and vulnerable and real about all the places that need healing and hope in our life. Second, we get to bring, we get to trust our risen Savior, not perform, not pretend, not to adopt Christianese. Bless you all. <laughs> right? You can say this, but you're not allowed. I'm too blessed to be distressed. <laughs> no. What is that? It's the idea of performance, right? Trust is not performance. 
Trust is placing the weight of your heart and your life in God's capable hands. And Jesus is alive and he's present. And so that means listening, that means obeying, that means trusting him with everything in our lives. And we do that step by step by step, never all at once and never alone, always together. Amen? Amen. And third, we're called to bring restoration. So Kelly Zamora is going to, to South Africa. And we're, we're making sure that she's got lotions and lipsticks and nail files and all the things for the women in the women's conference, right? And Coley's going to give a bunch of money away. Jesus, bless Coley this week as he gives a bunch of money away and bless those who receive it. May they feel your glory and your goodness and your love. Amen? Amen. So this is what we do. We bring restoration where we are. We don't have to wait to be perfect. We just do it right where we are. Does that make sense? Amen. Um, so we have a, 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 each one of these truths uh, has a choice that we make every day with it. So could, you, could we declare this together? Could we make, once again, the choice to follow Jesus this morning? Let's, let's, let's say this. Ready? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection. Amen? Amen. So can I have permission to speak to your heart? All the way deep down, because I know that sometimes it's, it's easy to walk into church and to think that I just wish the person next to me would hear this. But God has something for you today. So if you remember last week, Paul preached the sermon of his life. He shows up to this small little um, synagogue, and he and Barnabas are doing miracles, and thousands of people thousands of people receive Jesus. And then we talked about incompetency that lie from the pit of hell that not this, that you don't have a skill that you could learn, but that you're too stupid to ever learn how to do that. And we've had people in our lives, bosses, parents, grandparents, um, spouses in our lives that have made us feel incompetent. And when we feel incompetent, we always get angry. And I think that's what happened uh, a lot of the times when Paul and Barnabas would preach is that the Jewish people would feel incompetent. The Greek people, realize, were, I mean, can you imagine you've, you've worshipped the wrong God your entire life? So you have two responses to the gospel, either our humility and our repentance or our anger because we're prideful and also we don't want to feel incompetent. We talked about how Jesus never makes us feel incompetent. In fact, the power of the gospel is that though we are more broken than we want to admit, simultaneously we're more loved than we could ever dare to hope. And with Jesus, there's never a moment where he shames you because you don't know enough. He teaches you so that you can in love always. So... Paul and Barnabas leave that town, and they literally shake the dust off their feet. And this is where they were. Here's a map. Um, so you can follow the little green line. If you see the little town to the bottom or the, the, the right-hand corner of the Mediterranean Sea, that's Antioch. They leave from Seleucia. Two weeks ago, they sail to Salamis, and then they go to Paphos. Remember that? It means hot, boiling hot. You can tell your spouse, well, you look Paphos. 
right? That's Paphos, right? There they, have, they meet the guy named Bar-Jesus. Remember that one, right, who's the sorcerer? And then they go up to uh, the region called Pamphylia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and they go up to another confusing town, lake town called Antioch, a beautiful part of modern-day Turkey. Uh, that's where they shook the dust off their feet. Now they're going to travel to the right over to Iconium. Does that make sense? So let's read chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. So the same thing is going to repeat itself, right? They're going to go to the Jewish synagogue, and then what are they going to do? They're going to speak so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. And of course, they're praying for people, they're, they're, they're helping people, they're serving people. And again, we see this in almost every city. Lots of people come to know Jesus, and then there's also fierce resistance. Verse 2, read with me. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Listen, friends, you're going to experience resistance in your life anytime you try to build something beautiful. Does that make sense? And we all know this. I mean, talk to anybody in business, raising children, construction, church work, sports, working out, learning something new. In every area of our life, when you try and build something good, there is resistance. That's just life. Yeah? And sometimes the resistance that we face isn't nefarious. It's just the process of trial and error. Thomas Edison, when he was trying to invent the alkaline battery, tried 10,000 different permutations. And then he finally got it. People asked, didn't you get frustrated? And he goes, no. Now I know that 10,000 different things don't work. <laughs> Sometimes resistance, it, 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 so that's just like, that's just trial and error. That's the process of life. It's inert. The resistance is just discovery. Sometimes resistance that we see in our life is from other people, Right? Uh, an awkward man had a vision to go into politics to create laws that would bring justice instead of corruption or pain. Um, he had been bankrupt at the age of 22 in a little family business. He tried to run for local office because he wanted to change the rules of commerce to actually help small business people. He lost that rage, race at age 23, uh, tried to open up another business, but went bankrupt again at age 24. Uh, and then finally, he won his first local election at the age of 25. And then at 26, his fiance died. At 27, he had a mental breakdown um, and lost his position, would run three more times for other local positions, losing every single time. And then finally, 10 years later, at the age of 37, he won a seat at Congress after practicing law for some years, only to lose the next election at age 39. Then he lost all of the elections and nominations to any political office all throughout his 40s. That's called resistance. Right? You need perseverance and tenacity to overcome res uh, resistance in whatever form it takes. Listen, friends, don't give up. Get back up. Be like a postage stamp. Stick to your goal until you arrive. Finally, at the age of 51, this awkward man with a vision won his last and final election when he, Abraham Lincoln, became president of the United States. Don't give up. 
So what do our boys do in Iconium when the resistance gets fierce? Because the resistance they faced wasn't just people opposing them. It wasn't just trial and errors. The resistance they faced was the enemy of their souls, the devil himself, actually working against them. And you and I will face this sort of evil resistance anytime we try and build God's kingdom in our community, in our family, and in our own hearts. I was talking with a friend this week. We were talking about forgiveness. They were like, I really want to forgive. I said, great, let's forgive. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. No, I don't want to do it. Wait, I thought you wanted to forgive. Remember, forgiveness isn't forgetting. It's not saying what they did is okay. It's literally not being their judge anymore. Are you good at being the judge during execution of the world? No, no, I'm not. Do you want to forgive? Yes, absolutely. Are you ready? No. That happens with everyone who forgives. Why? There's resistance. The enemy of your soul does not want you to forgive. You're going to have to push through that. Don't give up. Amen? So, verse 3. Are you ready? Let's see what our boys do with some resistance. Let's read together. So, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. By enabling them perform signs and wonders. So Paul and Barnabas are going to spend months at Iconium. Unlike Antioch, Antioch, they just shake the dust off their feet. Iconium, they're going to spend months there. They don't give up. What do they do? They preach the message of... Let's say it all together. It starts with a G, ends with an E. It's got an R and an A and the C in there. They preach the message of... Yeah. Um, And God used them to heal people. Why, did, why would anybody hate this? How dare you say that you're loved and heal my sister? Oh, I hate you. Get out. What's up with that? But if you think about it, the message of Jesus and his grace turns everything we know upside down. Why? Well, I mean, human beings are full of crazy contradictions. Uh, how about this one? Um, we're all desperate to be loved. Everybody better raise their hand right now. <laughs> we're all desperate to be loved. And yet we try and earn love even though we know that true love is never earned. Um, how about this one? We're desperate for significance. We, does anyone want to live a meaningless life? <laughs> Nobody better raise their hand. We all want significance in our life. We want to feel like we're part of the story. It's baked into our humanity. And yet we will see God's incredible offer of significance in his kingdom and we'll go, "Mm, no, I'm going to try it on my own. What? How about this one? Um, We want to see God work in our lives and in our children's lives, and our grandchildren's lives, and our spouse's lives, and our family's lives, and our school, and our workmates. We want to see God's work, right? And so we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we add, on my timetable, as long as it doesn't cost too much time, energy, money, resources, opportunity, and as long as I get my sleep and I can watch my Netflix, I'm good. <laughs> what is that? 
How about this? We want the experience of being generous to other people, but we don't want to give. How about this one? We think sacrifice is an intention rather than an action. Well, yeah, I want to be sacrificial. I'm a sacrificial person. I like doing that. I mean, I don't do it, but I mean, I, I like that. The list goes on. So, of course, the message of grace is resisted. Why? Because that's what we do as human beings. I resist it every day. Jesus asks me, Andy, talk to me, listen to me, right? More love, more power, that's what I sing. More of you in my life. Hold on, let me do this by myself. That's what I do. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas are messing up an established system. People are getting healed, they're giving their lives to Jesus. Paul and Barnabas are showing people how to trust Jesus. And then all of a sudden, these people who are getting healed are not going to the witch doctor. They're not going to the temple to offer a sacrifice. They're not giving money to the, to the priests anymore to do the special services because they're healed. And so the economy is getting messed up. Does that make sense? Less and less people are showing up to pagan activities and the marketing experts at the pagan activities are going, what is going on? Let me do some research. Wait a minute. They're all going here to Paul and Barnabas. We've got to stop this. Verse 5. Read with me. There was a plot afoot. Oh, that's such good writing. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and... I don't like what's happening in this situation. What shall we do? Oh, I know. But we'll throw rocks at their head until they die. What? That's the visceral anger and resistance that only the enemy can provide. Verse 6. But... They found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities. That's just a different county. Okay? They were in San Luis Obispo County. They say, let's go to Santa Barbara County of Lystra and Derby. Now, they're in Lystra for a month, for months, long enough to make disciples and friends. Friends that's going to help. We're going to find out how at the end of this passage. Again, here's a map of where they go to. So they go to Iconium, and then they head south to Lystra. That's 28 miles. Okay? You know what is 28 miles? If you walk from San Luis Obispo to Santa Maria, that's 28 miles. Okay? So... They want to go to the Hobby Lobby or to go to Raising Cane's in Santa Maria because they don't got one in San Luis. Actually, they have one in San Luis right now. Oh, it's epic. Okay, all right. So what do they do in Santa Maria, right? Same thing. They go to synagogue, tell the people about Jesus, pray for people, practically help them. Let's read verse 8. In Lystra, there was a, a sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul. And he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, there's only a couple known reasons why a child, at least I, I'm not a medical doctor, so I only know of a couple of major reasons. How about that? 
um, why a child might, might be paralyzed from birth. First, he could have a stroke, like uh, our son had a stroke. And a stroke, uh, what happens is your, there's a bleed in your brain, and that damages your brain and then interrupts electrical signals to actually help you be able to walk. So people who have cerebral brain palsy injury have had a stroke. Does that make sense? And depending on the size of the stroke and where it's at, it can affect your ability to walk. Um, the second most common uh, reason why kids are born paralyzed that I know about is called spina bifida. Um, so spina bifida literally is when your spine, right, it's a genetic condition, it's a chromosomal issue where your spine, uh, the skin and the spinal cord uh, or the sheath around the spinal cord are not formed at birth. And so the spinal cord, which looks like little fine white hairs, is spilling out of the back of a child's back. And nowadays, a very skilled surgeon can then uh, uh, do two things. Number one, have a brain operation um, uh, so that when they close the spinal cord, you don't get a stroke. And number two, they can expertly put the sc spinal cord back in. And if they do it well, then those kids can walk again. Um, but if you don't have a surgeon because it's, uh, you know, 23 AD, you're not walking. Does that make sense? So this child grows up to be a man, and he has not walked, which means his legs are withered. His feet are shriveled, his bones are untested by weight, his tendons have shrunk, his spinal cord is damaged, his, does that make sense? Okay, so imagine his legs are this big round, they've never been used. And maybe he hears Paul says the same thing that Paul says to the church in Ephesus, that Jesus can do exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine. And maybe this is the exact moment that the guy says, well, if Jesus can beat death and he can do exceedingly more than I could ask or imagine, well, then maybe he could heal me. Friends, Jesus can do in you and through you and for you exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine. <clears throat> Trust him. I have a friend, George Freeman. He's been praying for people forever. I got to see him this last week, um, and he was telling me a story about how he was praying. He prays for uh, lots of people, but he was praying in a church, and he preached at a church, and a lady came up, and she said, I really want healing from an abortion I had, and he's prayed for women who've had an abortion many, many times before. He's so compassionate, no judgment, but he's just so full of love, and he says to them, uh, to the lady, he says, he's done this so many times that now it's just automatic. He goes, okay, put out your hands, and the lady puts out her hands, and then George says, Jesus, would you please help this mother hold her child one more time? And every single time, the woman's hands drop. Because Jesus, listen, if you've had an abortion, Jesus will allow you to hold your child one more time. Okay? And these women immediately start crying. And then Jesus, and then George says, would you want to know their name? And the moms are like, if they haven't named the child, they're like, yes, please. And so Jesus will tell them the name of their child. More tears. 
And then George says to him, do you want to know if they're okay? And every mom says yes. And then, and then they pray, and every single mom hears the exact same thing, that Jesus says that their child is being held by Jesus himself. Of course they're okay. Jesus can do exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine. Just ask. So Paul asks Jesus for healing and then tells the man to stand up. And just like that, bones, ligaments, tendons, muscles, they're brand new. And he doesn't get up like, like we do now, where it's like, do you ever do that when you get up, you make a noise, right? You're like, do you do this? Do you make noises when you get up and get down now? Like down, down, it's like, right? And then up, it's like, why, why do we, like, you hold your breath? Like, I'm, I find myself holding my breath the older that I get when I go down as though I'm going to have a hernia or, like, huh. you know, it's like, like, literally, and I'm down on the ground, and, like, I have to go, I go, I'm like, why am I not breathing, right? That's not this story. Paul doesn't say, get up, and the guy's like, you know, he's not like, uh, like, no, no, he jumps up. That's what the verse says. He jumps up. And people freak out. Of course they freak out. It's Santa Maria. Everybody knows everybody in Santa Maria. If you see the same guy outside the Hobby Lobby week after week after week after week after week after week after week, and you know that he's asking, and, he's, he's, and then somebody, you're there, and Paul, get up. And he just hops right up as what? Verse 11. Read this with me. Come and put some fire into it. Ready? When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language. Now we know what Barnabas looks like, right? He's chiseled. He has abs and a big white beard. Right? It's awesome. Now, uh, why, why in the heck do they think, ah, oh, Zeus and Hermes? Um, oh, everybody knows Zeus, right? Lightning bolt, right? Like head chief guy. Hermes is the guy with the winged feet, right? He's the messenger of the gods. Yeah? You know, he's in charge of email. Okay? That's Hermes. Uh, but there was a story uh, in this area that Zeus and Hermes went on a walk one day and uh, in literally these towns, these collection of towns. And uh, they asked, hey, would you, would you be willing to host us? Would you be willing to feed us? And town after town after town, house after house after house, uh, they said no. Until finally this old couple finally in this city, in Lystra, said yes. And so Hermes and Zeus were so thrilled that they blessed this couple and gave them financial resources to build this temple. And then every door that they had knocked on that had refused them, those houses fell down. Does that make sense? That was the story. I don't know. Maybe there was a major earthquake and only one house survived. And they're like, oh, it's Zeus and Hermes. Who knows? But that's the story. So they are highly motivated to worship Zeus and Hermes so that their houses and their lives don't fall down. Does that make sense? 
Verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gate. Bulls, right? Imagine, that's like 10 grand, okay? Multiple. And wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas, okay? Paul, five foot two, Barnabas, good looking guy. Abs, right? You know, he's done so many push-ups that he's got the line up here. You know what I'm talking about? Like the rock? Never mind. All right. Uh, all the ladies are like, oh, you mean my boyfriend? Mm -hmm. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd. That's a very Jewish thing to do. Shouting, save me the ribeye. Is that what they said? Huh. No, that's not what they shout. But notice what Paul says. Paul is not going to talk to them as though they know Scripture. Why? Ain't nobody knows Scripture. Nobody's Jewish. This is a completely Greek slash Roman town. Does that make sense? Verse 15. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news. That's a technical term if you're a Roman citizen. When there was a battle and uh, you didn't know whether or not the Roman army had defeated the incoming barbarians, the Roman army would send an angelos, a messenger, angel, angelos, just means messenger, to the city to proclaim either one of two things. If they had lost the battle, it'd be run for your lives, or if they won the battle, it would be a good angelos, a you angelos. It's the, it's the Greek derivation of an evangelical. That's good news, to evangelize. So meaning, here's the good news. Apart from yourselves, you doing nothing where you are right now, your king and Lord has won the battle for you, and you don't have to run for your lives. In fact, you are saved. So they tell them, we're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Next slide. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown you kindness by giving you rain from the heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Why does Luke add this detail? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about magical thinking, that we live with the same kind of magical thinking the ancients did. And if you get this, if you get this, you'll be happy. Yeah? Right? If I achieve this, then I'll finally be satisfied. We know that doesn't work, but we still do it. Then as Christians, we add one layer to that magical thinking. We do it in terms of prayer. If I ask for this, I'll get happy, but I have to do that in a specific magical way because magic is saying the right words in the right order, then I'll get what I want. Yes? That's a magic spell. Yeah? Say yes. Okay? That's magic, right? So we say, Jesus, I want what I want 
when I want it. Thank you, Lord. Amen in Jesus' name. <laughs> that's, magical, that's magical thinking in prayer. That's what we do. But see, there's a dark underbelly to the, to the side of uh, to, to magical kind of thinking. And, and the people of Lystra knew that. If the gods gave you something, if out came what you wanted, if you didn't sacrifice to them and, and abase yourselves enough, then they would destroy you. They would take away the blessing and then curse you. So how much is enough? Come on. How much? Seriously. Yeah, more. That's the right answer. More. That's the right answer. With great blessing in this kind of thinking comes the requirement of grace sacrifice or else. So they really want to sacrifice because they're terrified of having their lives destroyed. Jesus doesn't work that way. Jesus heals the crippled man from birth because Jesus loves him and knows him and wants him to trust that his heavenly father is good. Somebody say amen. amen. If God blesses you, you are not required to live in the fear that God will take it away unless you do X, Y, and Z enough times. Amen? Amen? That's not what a good father looks like. Here's a Christmas gift. You better be thankful. Uh, I don't think you, oh, I'm going to take that away. The message of grace is this. You cannot earn the blessings of God, nor will those blessings be exchanged for curses if you make a mistake. That's why Paul says, look, y'all didn't know God, and it's been raining, and God is blessing you, and he's helping you grow your crops so you can have a family and you can have a life. That's not a cruel and mean God who removes blessings because you don't do the right thing. That's the grace of God in your life. Does that make sense? God is gracious to you not because of you, but because that's who he is. Let me repeat that again. God is gracious to you. He gives you gifts you do not deserve, not because of you, but, but that's because who he is. You need to understand something important about the life of faith. And this is, I'm, I'm getting to something that's very important, but that's also I need you to hold on just for a moment. So if you're tempted to go squirrel, this is your time. Are you ready? <laughs> Ready? Squirrel. Okay. Sit up. Here we go, because this is something every single Christian goes through. And I need you to understand this concept because it's super important. It will lead to the difference between the difference between being exhausted by faith and disillusioned and frustrated and why don't this is not working and I'm so irritated and to a life of freedom and joy and power and love. Are you ready? I don't I'm am I ready? I don't know. Here we go. Jesus wants your effort. Jesus wants your obedience. Your effort and your obedience matter. How many times in the book of Acts have we seen that someone's prayers or someone's generosity, literally, or obedience, like Philip and the Ethiopian, or, right? It literally changes the course of history for the better. 
you matter. You are significant. Never diminish yourself and say, it doesn't really matter what I do. I'm just this tiny little cog in the wheel. Hogwash. With the Holy Spirit in your life, you are essential to the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. Right? Elbow the person next to you if they're falling asleep. This is real. Okay? Jesus is not opposed to your effort. Jesus is opposed to you thinking you will earn his favor with your effort. As Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Does that make sense? Let me explain this concept a little bit more to you. Let's say Jesus wants you to give away his money. So he shows up in your life with fat stacks of cash. Okay? Knocks on your door. It's Jesus, right? That'd be pretty sweet. And here's fat stacks of cash. Okay? And he says this. Give away this money. Share with the people how much I love you and how much I love them. See you when you die. Okay? Then he goes, no, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's not how God works, right? So that's, that's what Jesus says, right? Give away this money. Tell people how much I love you. Tell people how much I love them. Okay? Obedience is receiving the money. Effort is lugging the cash from place to place. Obedience is listening to the Holy Spirit about who to give the money to. Effort is taking the first step to have the awkward conversation of, listen, God is telling me to bless you. Can I share with you just for a moment? He's loved me with so much grace, and this is an opportunity to share with you that same grace. That's obedience. That's effort. Does that make sense? Grace is not opposed to these things. Actually, they're very important. They're required. Right? Because you can't just have the stacks of cash and then never give it away. That would be disobedience. Or just assume that, like, the person you're supposed to give it away to will drive through your living room in their car. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to, like, go do something. Does that make sense? Earning is the lie that Jesus will take the money away unless you do it perfectly. Earning is the lie that you're responsible for the outcomes of what they do with the money once they get it. Earning is the lie that unless you say it perfectly, give it perfectly, do it perfectly, that you will fail, that Jesus will take away the money that he gave you, he will take away his love and his favor on your life, and he will curse you instead. Faithful obedience is trusting Jesus with the outcomes. Faithful effort is taking the step to do what Jesus asks. Faith is having Jesus and you and the person you're helping at the center of that interaction. Earning is having you and only you at the center of that interaction. Does that make sense? Look, when Paul and Barnabas walked into a city, they wanted people to look at Jesus and his great love. They weren't interested in them looking at them. They wanted them to look at Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his beautiful face. 
Paul and Barnabas wanted the people to have faith, to receive the grace from God, not the burden of having once again to prove uh, to the gods that they love, they're thankful enough unless the gods would like, crush their lives. Now, let's put together everything we've learned this morning. Are you ready? Are you sure? Are you ready? Here we go. All of us are going to experience resistance in our lives when we try and build something good. Yeah? If you labor under the weight of trying to earn your significance or worth, you will give up when the resistance gets fierce. Why? Because no human being can carry that much weight. No human being can build their life on that unstable of a foundation. And then when it supports the weights of spouses and careers and children and grandchildren and significance and importance, when the storm comes, you won't, you're, that, that foundation won't hold your life and it'll crumble and fall. And then what will you do? I know what you will do. You'll get back up again. Oh, you'll be like that postage stamp. You won't give up. And you'll do that again and again and again until you don't. And we've all been there. We've given up on that person. Oh, there's no more chances. We've given up on that dream. It's not going to work. We've driven up on that career. Pfft, that was a waste. We've given up on ourselves. I can't do this anymore. We lose heart, ultimately we lose faith. God, I'm just, oh. and it's not because God isn't love, doesn't love us, it's not because he hasn't blessed us, it's not because he's given up on, us, uh, up on us, it's because in the face of resistance, we've tried to use the tool of earning to build a foundation for our lives and it won't work. But the faith that comes from trusting that Jesus loves you and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And yeah, your effort and obedience are really important so you can build something. But it's not earning. It's just responding to the unbelievable grace of God. Watch what happens when you build your life that way. Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Oh, my gosh. People from Paso and San Luis traveled to Santa Maria <laughs> and won the crowd over. They convinced the people of Santa Maria that what Paul and Barnabas were saying is awful. And then what did they do? They stoned Paul. They stoned Paul. They threw rocks at his head until he died. Wait, Andy, you're saying that if I have faith, I'll have rocks thrown at my head until I die? Hmm? I mean, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Probably not. But I can tell you that as you trust Jesus and listen to him, and as, as you offer your heart to be transformed by his love, and as you forgive and let go of resistance, you will face resistance. You will. You will. You'll have arguments with people that are close to you, and you'll be like, ah, I'm done. That's resistance. That's the enemy. 
You come to church and they'll play old hymns from the 70s. And you're like, ah, can't stand this music. Come to church and they'll play new things from the 2000s. You're like, ah, I hate this place. You'll pray and God will answer your prayer, but not in the way that you want. You're like, oh, I'm done. You will suffer. It's life. You'll suffer. Things will go wrong. Don't give up. Even if it feels like you're dying, don't give up. Hold on to Jesus. Even when it gets hard, remember your faith. Your faith isn't how tightly you're holding on to Jesus. Your faith is how tightly he's holding on to you. You are enough for what's in front of you. You're not alone. Get back up. Paul is literally nose broken, teeth gone, eye socket shattered, skull caved in, tied behind a horse, dragged out to the city dump, thrown there. Disciples, friends, walk out because they've spent some time in Santa Maria making disciples. All the people that have worshiped with Paul and have loved him well go out to the city dump and, and they gather around him. And what do they do? They pray. And what happens? But after the disciples had gathered around him, no, 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 don't just read that like, oh, like he went like this. Luke is trying to say the same thing. The impossibility of a paralyzed man with shriveled legs and all of that miracle, the impossibility of that happened to Paul. He shouldn't have gotten back up any what? He got up and went back. Can you imagine you've just thrown rocks at somebody's head until they've died, dragged them out to the city dump on a horse? Ha, ha, ha. We won. And he walks back into the city? What? What happens next? The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. That's Santa Barbara, 60 miles south. How do, you ta- how do you walk 60 miles after having rocks thrown at your head until you die? And what do they do in Derby in Santa Barbara? They preach the message of grace. Even though you're more broken than you want to admit, you're more loved than you could ever dare to hope. What is Paul going to tell them? Get back up. Look, when you face resistance, since you don't have to earn it, since it's already been given to you, you can get back up. You can get back up. You can rebuild your life again. You're not alone. You can get back up. Yeah, you're going to miss some teeth, right? Like life is going to be hard. Get back up, not on your own power, but by the power of God. Not by saying, I'm going to do it all myself, but crying out to Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, save me and help me. I love this. Check this out. Are you ready? This is a mic drop mm, mm, mm moment. Ready? We read this like, ah, it's not that big a deal, but just slow down, figure out the story, put yourself in the movie, and then they do this. Then... They, what they do? They returned. Dun, 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 
right? It's the rebels flying again into the Death Star. The second one, we're back, baby. It's Arnold, I'll be back, right? They returned to where? Lystra. Yeah, you beat me to death with stones. I'm back. Then to where? Iconium and to San Luis Obispo and Paso. All the Jews that like stirred up the people of Lystra to kill Paul. And he's like, hey, hey, I'm back. And what did he do? He took revenge. No, he strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain True to earning it all by their own power, right? True to faith. Look, no one cares about your resume, about how great your life, how you did, okay? That's, that's what you'd say when you're about earning things. You know what people care about that are formed by the grace of God and the furnace of resistance and suffering? You know what they care about? care about the moments when you were beat and knocked down and had messed up when somebody else had betrayed you and hurt you and you were flat on your back and you felt like you were dead and when you cried out to Jesus and friends came along you and prayed you and loved you back to life. That's the story they want to hear. And that's the story that Paul and Barnabas tell when they go back and they say, this is my Jesus and these are his people. Because the gospel is, it's the message of a dead man who was raised, preached to a dying man. And now this dying man is preaching to dying people. All of us desperate to be raised by the love of God. And we cannot do that by our own efforts and, or by our own earning. We do that only by the power of the Holy Spirit as we have faith to trust that Jesus could heal us in our crippled form. So would you cry out with me to our Savior? And would you be the kind of friends that would rally around the broken people in your life and pray them back to life and then sashay back into that city? <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we cry out to you now. God, forgive us for trying to earn it. Forgive our contradictions. And we greatly, gratefully receive your grace. We gratefully receive the good news of the gospel. We love you, Lord. We lift our voice to worship you. We love you, Lord. Would you form in us a heart that would see the broken people in our lives and go and love them and pray them back to life? And would you bless and seal all the good things that you've done in our hearts and in our minds here today. We pray against all the plans of the enemy to rob, steal, and destroy that which you've done, Jesus. Bless my friends. Raise them back to life. 
and give them the perseverance and the tenacity to get back up with you by your spirit trusting you in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said do you know the song I love you Lord stand with me and I live my time. I love you, Lord, and I live my horse to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's his delight in you and give you the peace that passes all understanding. You don't have to earn it anymore. It's all been earned for you. Amen. God bless you guys. We have angel food cake in the back and Julian and Cornwall and Penzance. We love you guys. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.